0: Hello and welcome everyone to the almost awesome podcast the only podcast that is coming to you live from my bedroom (laughs) uh today this is going to be a little bit of a short video and i apologize for the uh quality of the audio uh I wanted to get this one out of the way uh, because I haven't posted anything in a while and I'm planning on posting more content and more episodes of the podcast and I'm planning to be offering even more content very soon uh, that I'm very excited about. But I wanted to do this episode on a very special movie that I just saw called Hard Ticket to Hawaii. Which is what ancient monks described as the only way of achieving Nirvana, I would say. This movie is insane. I saw it at the Alamo Draft House here in Tempe. And Quick side note, if you've never been to the Alamo Drafthouse, I would definitely recommend going there, because not only is it world famous, but it's just a movie theater for people who love going to the movies, for movie buffs and everything in between. Uh, The Alamo Drafthouse, not only is it... Uh, one of those dine-in theaters where you go in and you can actually order food while you're sitting at in the theater and they bring the food to you so you don't miss any of the pre-rolls, trailers, or anything like that. And not only is the food delicious, but it's actually affordable pricing for tickets. You know, their matinees are like $7, which is awesome. And not only... All that and great seats and great movie screens and all that stuff. Great atmosphere. But the thing I love most about the Alamo Draft House is their no talking or texting policy. They have a zero tolerance policy for it all. Like they take it so seriously. They will kick you out if you are disruptive in any way. You get one warning and they will kick you out. They kicked out Madonna. They will kick out you. And I love it because all the other theaters here in town, you get so many rowdy people who come to the theater and just will shout at the screen or, or just talking amongst their friends. And it's annoying and it ruins the experience. So the Alamo Drafthouse definitely kicks that right to the curb. And I love it. I love going there, and I love uh, all of, like the special screenings they have going, uh, which tonight was one of their special screen- uh, screenings for uh, their uh, Fist City, I think they call it, uh, where it's every month they show a different like cool action film or something like that. And today we saw hard ticket to Hawaii. Now, this movie was made by the very infamous Andy Sedaris. If you don't know who Andy Sedaris is, that's very likely. He was not a very well-known director, made a lot of B-movie stuff, but his B-movie stuff are incredible if you ever have time to check it out. One of my favorites is Miami Connection, which I think you can go watch on Amazon right now. Miami Connection is great. Hard Ticket to Hawaii, also great. So, So, let me... There is so much about this movie that is just insane. And it's like, it's good, bad. It's good, schlocky, just 80s action skin exploitation f- nonsense. Uh, the movie is... Gosh, how do you describe the plot of this movie? Um, you have two blonde... By the way, all the women in this movie are drop-dead gorgeous. And there are... This is gonna get graphic, so I apologize to any mothers who may be want- hearing this, but there are a lot of boobies in this film. There is a lot. Nearly every woman, uh actress, if there is any other kind, uh has a topless scene in this movie. It's insane. It, there was even at one point where, like, either the third or fourth woman to have undressed in this film, like, She undressed. This is like the fourth woman to get undressed. And the theater I was in, there was literally someone after she undressed where they went, whoa, (laughs) like it was so loud. And this was like the fourth woman that we had seen get naked. And it made the entire theater laugh. Just, it was like, did a a teenager sneak in here just at the last second and just saw those boobs and was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is not Hercules. This is not (laughs) any movie I was watching before. So, that's the kind of movie we were dealing with. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, Now, what was special about this screening is that there was a live Q&A... With uh, Arlene Sedaris, who uh, is the, was the wife and producer, uh, producing partner, of Andy Sedaris. And she gave a lot of context about this film. Um, where when you watch it, and you watch a lot of Andy Sedaris' th- films, you, when you look at it now, you're like, ooh, with all the stuff we know that women go through in not only just the movie business but with sexual harassment in general with these kind of films it's not very it doesn't look good from a feminist angle and Andy Sedaris definitely does not look like the kind of guy who uh is very respectful to women but I have to get Credit to where credit is due. Arlene, uh, very much, uh, defends Annie Sederis' choice to feature, uh, strong female women. That was another thing. Like, this movie, like, is really about, a lot about girl power. You know, it's, it's very, it's very in the celebration of women, both their skills and also their bodies. Um... To which, sure, I can I can see that. And she uh, was very kind enough to uh, give in her live Q&A uh, to us her thoughts. And, you know, it was more of a celebration of women. And that was her point of view. And she was very proud of the work that she had done on those films. So I was like, okay, you know what? I can watch this without feeling guilty, without knowing that, these women were treated badly, which which I'm glad. I'm really glad, because now I can enjoy this film for just all its schlocky behavior. So back to the plot, I'm trying to, like, find out what this movie was about. So it's, like, two blonde FBI agents or something... They're like, there's some kind of law enforcement or slash cargo plane drivers, but they're also undercover and it's, it's weird. There's some type of law enforcement slash cargo plane drivers or cargo plane pilots. Um, It's not really explained, but the point is their profession gives them access to ninja weapons. Alright, both of these lead women, uh, I forget the names in the film, but we're just going to call them Blonde 1 and Blonde 2, Uh, Blonde 1 being the woman who has the most seniority there, and Blonde 2 being uh, kind of more the rookie, the civilian, Uh, officially, there is so many weird stuff about this film, but uh, they have access to ninja weapons like nunchucks and throwing stars, as you do... Uh they have access to regular guns, but when you can use nunchucks and ninja stars on duty, you know you found the right job. So they come across Oh my gosh, I like I cannot describe this film. There's so many great moments. But basically they come across a diamond smuggling ring or something and then they get marked for death by these bad guys who try so much to get the diamonds back and try to kill them. So, it's it's weird. Honestly, talking about the plot of this movie is like trying to talk about the plot of a Tommy Wiseau film. It's impossible, and it's less enjoyable than actually experiencing it. This movie... Is an experience. I'm just going to randomly. uh, draw out some highlights. From this film. uh, Without context. And. It will make you go. This does not make sense. So when you actually go see the film. And you realize. Oh this still doesn't make any sense. uh, You'll know you didn't miss anything. So. This movie has. Everything and by mean everything, I mean there's a point in this movie where the two male protagonists, who are also secret agent slash boat pioneers, I don't know, they're everyone's a secret agent or something, but they're like practicing kung fu on their houseboat, and they're, and it's very uh, homoerotic, Uh, at least that was the feeling I was getting, Um, and then. Uh, when the two female leads are marked for death by these bad guys, Uh, one of the bad guys named Seth, who is uh, by far the worst actor in this film and the best actor in some ways. Like, every line reading he gets is wrong. (laughs) Every choice he makes is just the wrong instinct, and I love it. And he's her main bad guy, and he gets... Like, beat up so much in this film, you almost feel bad for him. But anyway, our two male leads, uh, they are going to assist their female colleagues. uh, But before that, they are ambushed by a skateboarding assassin. Now, what does a skateboarding assassin uh, do? Well, I'm glad you asked. A skateboarding assassin uh, rides up while they're in a While they're in a car, he rides up on his skateboard, riding it on his, doing a handstand on the skateboard, rides past them, then catches back up with them after he has gotten both a gun and a blow-up sex doll. Now, I know what you're thinking. Tanner, you must be leaving something out because how does he get a gun and a sex doll? Well, you're right. I did leave something out. His friend, the bad guy's friend, obviously drove up in a car to give him the gun and the sex doll. Now I know what you're thinking. Tanner, why does he give him a gun and a sex doll? Wouldn't either one be good enough? And I went, yes. But when you add both, you, add, you get an awesome movie. So there is no reason for the sex doll to be there. But there is also no reason not to have a sex doll in this scene, okay? And we're not even halfway done with this scene yet, okay? So he tries to assassinate our heroes with the sex doll and the skateboard and the gun in this combination. But our heroes, thinking ahead, have anticipated this somehow... And one of our heroes, Rodney, I think he's called? I don't know. He's the more handsome one? He goes into the back of his Jeep while they're still driving, and he gets out a rocket launcher, a four-cylinder rocket launcher. And they run into the skateboard guy because, remember, they're in a car, and he's in a skateboard. He hits him, and he goes flying. So does the sex doll. And then, using the rocket launcher, shoots both the assassin and, for good measure, and I know you were worried about this, they fire a separate rocket at the sex doll, covering all bases and making sure everyone is safe. And they do take time to let you know that the skateboard escapes this movie. And if you think um th- this doesn't make any sense in context, it doesn't. It makes no it makes no sense in context or without context, but it's awesome. Okay? Why do these guys have a rocket launcher? Why did they think this was a good idea to use it? Why did they have to destroy the sex doll? I don't know, but the fo- the point is they destroyed both of them and they are safe. <laughs> oh, man, there is uh, there's a giant snake in this film. I do not know why. No one knows why. But it feels like it was another movie that was being made, and then it wasn't. And they just had all this leftover footage, and just like, yeah, fuck, we'll just put this all in this movie with these scantily clad women. And it works. Okay, this snake is... <laughs> the fakest and kind of grossest looking snake you've ever seen uh but it's a but the uh man I'm trying to get this down the two uh female leads who are cargo plane pilots they are charged with delivering a plane to or a, the delivering a snake to a resort but Through some mix-ups at the beginning of the movie, they accidentally get a poisonous, dangerous snake, I think. I don't know. How dangerous is the snake? Well, I'm glad you asked. This snake has been infected by cancer-infested rats. Damn. That is a snake you do not want to fuck with. If you were playing on fucking with any snake today you do not that is one snake you do not want to fuck with and the snake goes on a killing spree and it's almost uh incidental to what everything else that's going on the snake is just like going on it the snake is having its own movie going on and everyone else seems to forget about it until they find dead bodies there's literally a scene the two female uh secret agents or two female leads uh drop off when they're dropping off the snake they're also transporting a honeymooning uh couple to their vacation spot or whatever and they say oh we're gonna meet up with you guys uh later uh and then of course the snake has killed this young uh sexy couple and uh the two female elites find their mangled bodies And the way it's shot is that it cuts to – literally from a scene, it's like, all right, we got to find – what's her face and what's his butt? And then it literally cuts to their reaction, finding their bodies and just being like, oh, no! Oh, God, it's all gamey and stuff. And I swear to God, it was like – I thought one of them was going to say, oh, we fucked this up so bad. Oh, this was literally our only job today, and we let them die. Oh, man. But we got to find those diamonds. We got (laughs) to... They completely forget about it. They don't call it in. These two people have been murdered. I don't think they ever call it in or have anybody recover the bodies. But that's not important, okay? What's important is that they need to go fight some dudes. (laughs) (laughs) Like, some weird-ass supervillains in this movie. Oh, man. Some of the uh, thugs in this movie. During the 80s and 90s, the 80s and 90s really knew how to have some colorful henchmen. Those were, like, prime henchmen years. Where every henchman had a quirk, there was, like, a few henchmen that could have filled their own movie. We already mentioned Skateboard Assassin. Uh, and then there was my favorite guy, uh, Silver Aviator's Frisbee Enthusiast. Um, we don't know anything about him it, except that he just likes to hang out at the beach protecting his compound with an Uzi. And he plays Frisbee with some girl. Uh, and he he kills some cops at the beginning of the movie with this weird – he has this weird shit-eating grin on his face like the whole time his lines of dialogue are always like weird and he's like Ur. but uh <laughs> so our main leads are our, our four leads have to sneak into this compound and kill the bad guys of course and if you think I'm over I'm simplifying the plot I'm not <laughs> uh they have to sneak into this compound at one point, so they have to get past this guard, which is very important. But they also have to get their revenge because this guy killed some of their cops, uh, or or their buddies because they're all cops or they're all secret agents. Uh, <laughs> who, by the way, the cops that are killed at the beginning of this movie are taking like cuts from like a drug smuggling like, marijuana growing, so they're not even, like, like, on the straight and narrow, they're kind of corruptible cops, which everyone is kind of corruptible in this film, but I'm gonna to get to that in a second, uh, so, our, our main lead, Rodney, I think he is, um, he pulls off some Ocean's 11 type trickery to kill this guy, Okay, he finds him on the beach. He finds the girl he's been playing frisbee with and he walks up and he's like, "Hey, man, you better get going." And he's like, "Oh, come on. I just want to toss a couple, uh, you know, toss a couple frisbees." And the guard is like, "Alright. Let's see what you've got." Which is uh apparently uh, all that he needed to know. That's all, the only prerequisite you need to uh Come up to this uh, evil guy's compound. It's just to know how to throw a fucking frisbee. But it works. And... So the guy... He starts... uh, They start tossing the frisbee around. And they're tossing it like really aggressively. Like only guy... Muscular guys in the 80s could. Like you can feel the testosterone just like building up inside them. And then... Um he switches out the frisbee they're playing with for another frisbee that the guy has that has razors all around it a sort of kung lao mortal combat shit he's got going on with this frisbee and then he's like this is for the cops at the beginning of the movie i'm paraphrasing there and then he throws it at the guy and the guy goes to catch it. And it cuts through his fingers and lands in his jugular, killing him, uh, which was uh, deserving of its own Oscar, I think. Because that was just, that was just perfect storytelling right there. Oh, man. Uh, Other bad guys in this film. There was a uh, Hawaiian guy in a Hawaiian shirt uh, in this movie who gets uh taken out by one of the female leads with a ninja star she like takes it out of her uh, cowboy boot that she's wearing and throws it at this guy at one point and it sticks right in his chest and it's like spraying blood but the girl like then later like takes the ninja star out of his chest because you know it's her she had to recover it and the guy's like on the ground and he's still like bleeding, <laughs> but then he just gets up and he, you can just see he's like in pain. He's like, "Ah, oh, oh. I think they make comments about it. It's like, "Oh, that looks bad. It's like think!" And throughout the entire movie, every scene this guy is in, he is still holding his left his left man boob. Like, he's in so much pain, like, to remind us that he's been hit by a ninja star. And it's like, oh my god, dude, do you need to go to the hospital? But he just continues to hold it. (laughs) Oh my god, It's, it's great continuity. I love when he, like, after he was hit, there's, like, blood on his shirt. And then they go to meet Seth, the main bad guy of this film... Uh, who is both the best and worst actor, as I have mentioned, they go to see him right after they got their asses kicked. And he no longer has blood on his shirt. So, but it's the same shirt. So he, so it's either a continuity mistake, or this guy had an extra shirt and went to the hospital in between seeing his boss after... Failing to retrieve diamonds. Oh, man. There are so many just great moments in this film. Uh, Andy Sedaris, the director, uh, has his own role in this film as a uh, football TV producer or something. There's like this weird subplot that goes nowhere about these two guys trying to uh, get some deals with football stars that are at this uh, place called Edie's. Which, by the way, Edie's... Okay, Edie's is like this Hawaiian restaurant slash bar or something that should might as well be called Sexual Harassment Inn. It's got all these beautiful waitresses... And they're all being harassed by employees and by their coworkers and by customers themselves. It's gross, <laughs> and there is a point where Andy Sedaris himself, the director of this film, I'm not exaggerating when I say this. There's a point where he's speaking to a woman uh, that he's at a table with, and he's like it's like." like, uh, Margaret, I don't know what her name was, uh, like, Margaret, I've changed, I'm not like that, it's like, it's like, Jeff, you, like, she says this to him, and I'm saying this quote, Jeff, you nearly raped me last night, and there was, like, a dead silence, like, there was an audible gasp, even, at, before that, there was, like, a little bit of gasp, especially for me. There was a little bit of silence, a little bit of uncomfortable silence. From, and it was like, ooh, yikes. And the guy's response, remember, this is Andy Sedaris, the director. And he says, baby, that was last night. I'm a different man now. And then he proceeds to ogle a waitress. That comes up to him. I think it's the owner Edie, who's her who's also a character in this film, who helps out our uh protagonists. Uh, and then that just ends. Where Andy Sederis made himself a rapist. It's like, okay, you might be saying, nearly raped her. Okay, at best he should go to jail for sexual harassment in in the movie, okay? Like, in real life, I don't know much about him, but this role does not help his case. So it's mind-boggling. But, you know, as I said before, uh, Arlene Sedaris says it was all in, you know, this was all about it doesn't seem like any bad things were going on. So, I hope that was the case. Um, so, moving on from this weird-ass... From that weird-ass scene. There are... Oh, man. You really just have to see this movie. You have to experience it. Honestly. um, One of the best scenes. I think I'm going to end with this because there's really no way I can top this. After our main heroes have infiltrated the bad guys compound, they've taken out all these uh bad guys. Um they get in their van and they're driving away and it feels and it feels like the end of the movie. Like everyone's safe and everything. <laughs> And uh, then they realize, as they're driving away, they're like, wait, who took out that guy Seth? You know, Seth, the guy who's both the best and worst actor of this film. <laughs> they literally stop the van where they realize they haven't killed this guy yet. <laughs> and the very next shot is the van doors busting open and are mainly... Flying out of there on a motorbike and driving to save, like, one of the other characters because this guy is still alive. So, but he doesn't save her because she doesn't need to be saved. One of the female leads. Again, you think I'm leaving things out of context. I'm not. (laughs) One of our... Seth goes to kill one of our female leads and he fails twice in the same scene he <laughs> he tries to go to kill her she locks herself in a closet he tries his damnedest to reenact the shining with jack nicholson with a knife and the door but he's just kind of really just whittling the door it's more like a screen and he's just like kind of whittling it away So it's not that very intimidating. And as soon as he opens the door, she's loaded a harpoon gun that she obviously keeps in her closet. And then shoots him with it. And then he falls down on the ground, dead. So she walks away, but oh-ho, he's not really dead. So he grabs his knife, and he tries to sneak up on her again. But somehow she realizes... Oh, wait, he's not dead. He's probably sneaking up on me. So she (laughs) finds where he's hiding, like around the corner, and then attacks him and then grabs his, his knife. And she cuts herself in the process. And he ends up stabbing him in the stomach. And he falls down on the ground, dead again. And then she just like then goes like, oh, man. Oh, that was so tough. And then, you know, she goes into the bathroom. She's, like, you know, wiping some of the blood off. She's, like, sitting down by the bathtub. She's just, oh, she's just, she's, but she's done. She's done everything. She's the hero. She just deserves to rest. So she throws away a paper towel in the toilet, and then she goes to flush the toilet. The toilet explodes... And the snake, the motherfucking snake, comes out of the toilet. And you're like, oh shit, I forgot about the fucking snake. The movie forgets about this snake a lot. And with good reason. (laughs) Because it's awesome when you remember that a fucking snake is in this film. So, it tries to attack her, but she runs out of the bathroom. But then sees that Seth is still alive. This guy is, like, suffering. You feel bad at, bad for him. <laughs> so much. Like, he has failed so many times in this film to do anything right. And he's just been getting horribly maimed. So, she sees he's alive... I'm pretty sure they make eye contact, but she quickly hides. And for some reason, he goes into the bathroom because he for some reason thinks she's still in there. Doesn't make sense, but whatever. The point is we had to get him from point A, which point A being not being maimed by a snake, to point B, point B being maimed by a snake. So he finally gets bit in the face by our snake, who has now become the hero of this film. And he finally dies from snake bites to the face. I think. He could still be alive. We don't know. There's even a point in this Movie, like before the snake actually kills Seth, where the snake is like fumbling around in the bathroom and it's like breaking mirrors and it's like going through makeup, and it made me feel like the snake was having its own subplot where it was like, I just wanted the snake to just look at the mirror and just go, "I'm idiot, Just all of a sudden start talking. It would have matched so well with the rest of the film. Like, it would have made no sense, but it would make me so happy. And then it's, like, rummaging through, like, her makeup, and I just wanted the snake to go, now I would be pretty. There's even a point in this film where after, like, they were on the cargo plane and the snake is escaping, Uh, one of the characters is trying to radio our heroines that the that the snake they have is dangerous. So he's trying to radio on the planes radio, and it's like, come in, please, come in, anyone, come in, and the snake is, like, starting to fumble around, and I swear to God, I thought the snake, they should have done this, it would have been, oh, it would have been so much better than anything uh, Spielberg's ever done, I wanted the snake to just slither into the cockpit And just turn off the radio. Or like cut the power. I wanted this snake to be a horror movie icon. I wanted this snake to be Jason. (laughs) Because this snake had so much other things going on in this film. It doesn't fit. And it's spectacular. There was a horror movie monster that was just going around and people kept forgetting about. Oh, it's... It's so good, guys. It's so great. So, oh, but how do they stop the snake, you might be asking? Well, our other hero, uh, before our lead heroine is killed by the snake, uh, even though she manages to do a pretty good job, like, she shoots the snake in the head, like, three times. But our hero who uh, was on the motorbike previously, he he smashes through her front door into the living room, (laughs) jumps off the bike, does a somersault, and he has the rocket launcher, which they've been using pretty liberally throughout the film, Uh, In closed spaces, just firing it at people, like exploding everything, just not really caring that anything could be taken as collateral damage, but he takes the rocket launcher and with such pinpoint accuracy, he fires it at the snake's already shot off head And blows the snake's head up. Finally destroying. The greatest snake. To ever grace. The silver screen. And it is. Beautiful. And they end this spectacular scene. There are some great one-liners in this film. And by great I mean terrible. (laughs) But. They end the scene, because this guy did not know that there was a fucking snake loose. Because again, they forgot there was a horror movie monster going around. The guy goes, where did that thing come from? And the girl goes, would you believe the toilets? And with the most like disapproving grin, he's just like, just when you thought it was safe to pee. And it was like... Oh, my God. Best screenplay ever. Right there. Oh, there were some other great lines, too. Uh, Ponytail, the other male lead, he gets a line that's like, life's a bitch. And then you die. And then he proceeds to kung fu kick this guy (laughs) to oblivion. And then gets some, like, claws on his hand. It's a weird ninja thing, but he gets these like claws and he then goes, and then you die. And then he slits the guy's throat with it. Again, you're thinking, Tanner, you're obviously leaving out context. Why is that happening? Uh, because it's awesome. And no, I'm literally not leaving anything out. So, and I haven't even scratched the surface of some of the great things in this movie, the weird ADR that they've got going on, uh, the incomplete shots, and some of the just questionable decisions that they make. Uh, It just makes a really fun film. And you really get that sense that everyone was having a lot of fun making this film. And I feel a great source of satisfaction that, after hearing Arlene Sedaris Talk about this film. And talk about the process. Um, it it really just goes to show that... If you just put a lot of heart... Into your movie. And if you just... Make something you're passionate about. People resonate with that. And for the most part... Even when you make... B-movie schlock... That's... Objectively not that good... It can still be entertaining, and at the end of the day, that's what movies are about, and that's what's important. Now, is Andy Sedaris kind of a creep? I think so, but, you know, I'll leave that up to everyone else to decide. So... That's going to be it for today. I apologize for kind of the rambling. This was a... Uh, I really wanted to just get my initial impressions of this film out. Uh, I didn't want to wait too long and have it leave my memory. Uh, so thank you for putting up with uh, just this kind of rambling. I <laughs> I really had just a lot of fun just describing this movie to you all. So I hope you have a good time. I hope you check out this movie and I want you to go check out the Alamo Draft House if you have an Almo Draft House in your town. If you're in Arizona, we have two in Chandler and Tempe. Uh, they're getting one in LA. Uh, there's the original one in Austin, Texas. Uh so, you know, if you love movies and, you know, just Come out to the Alamo Draft House. If you go to the one in Tempe, which is the one I go to all the time, they have their film club, which they show uh, really cool, interesting independent films from time to time. And uh, they're great. There's there's this movie I plan to review called The Wind. I don't know anything about it, really. Uh, and they had it for their film club just the other day. I missed it, and I'm super bummed about it. But I'm going to give it a watch. I'm going to rent it. And I'm going to give it a watch. And uh, I'm going to post that review soon. I'm also going to be posting my reviews of Avengers Endgame and Mortal Kombat X. No, up, uh, sorry. Mortal Kombat 11 very soon. And I just want to let you guys know, I'm going to be starting a Patreon soon. So you would be able to help not only support me in this podcast and all, uh, future content that I'm hoping to be creating soon. Uh, but I want to make this experience more interactive and I kind of want to make this kind of a fun communal, uh, club-like experience. So I'm hoping to do all that really soon. So thank you all for, uh, tuning in for, uh, this spontaneous episode of the podcast and I will be seeing you all next time you